Pop-Up Magazine is a live magazine. When we tour the country, we need a sauna like we need phone chargers and late-night tacos. A lot. We have so many details to keep track of. Stories, music, theaters, hotels. Asana is a work management tool that puts everything in one shared space so we see who's doing what and when, and we can spend our time on what matters, making a great show. Visit asana.com to learn more and try today for free. That's A-S-A-N-A dot com. From Pop-Up Magazine, this is Field Guide, an audio experience made for the world around us. I'm Haley Howell. Today, trees. When I was about five, I had this magic tree. I mean, I guess I didn't have it. It was just there. This big, beautiful oak tree that had all these little nooks and crannies where you could hide things. And every few days, my mom and I would walk down to the magic tree and hidden there in a nook would be a little note and gift from my friend Clyde. Like jelly beans or a sticker, or if I was really lucky, a Hot Wheels car. For a period of time, Clyde and I and our moms left each other presents in the magic tree. And it felt magical. So before we start, I want to encourage you to go find your own version of a magic tree. Press pause, grab some headphones, and head outside. Maybe you can find a tree to sit under while you listen. Or you could sit in it. Or take a walk and notice all the different kinds of trees you encounter. And after today's episode, don't forget to check out our visual field guide, which includes beautiful photographs and illustrations of trees, along with water, night skies, and walks. You can find it at popupmagazine.com. All right, let's go. I'm Molly Webster, and I'm the senior correspondent at Radiolab. Sometimes I'll see a tree, like next to a sidewalk or at the edge of a park, and like I feel some sort of connection, or I just think, oh, that's a good tree. And I walk up to it, and I put my hand out, and I just stand there, and I take five breaths. And I just... Um, it just reminds me to like slow down, stop, and that there's something that's like bigger than all of us in all these places, but that there's just this massive connectivity in the universe. You know, I think there's this thing where we like move through the world so fast and, and then it's like, just take a second. It's like really quiet. And you can hear so many different sounds and there's this like life force and I just want to hug it which I often I do there's many pictures of me hugging trees <laughs> probably has happened more during COVID where I'm like I just want to wrap my arms around something because <laughs> so, I'm a singleton in an apartment and uh and like man I'll tell you what if you ever need to wrap your arms around something there is a tree out there with your name on it and it will hold you up And it feels amazing. You just like let all your weight go and just wrap around this tree and it has got you. In some sense, every time you use the word tree hugger, you're actually invoking the Chipko movement. The Chipko movement was a radically important 
environmental movement that emerged in the Indian Himalayas in the early 1970s. It started as a protest against the way the forest department managed the areas for commercial timber harvesting and how they restricted access to local communities to those forests. My name is Hari Priya Rangan, or Priya for short. I'm at the University of Melbourne at the School of Geography, and I grew up in the foothills of the Himalayas. So one day when the forest contractor came to start work on timber harvesting in a forest near one of the villages up in the Himalayas, a group of people went to the forest and the women actually decided to circle the trees and, and hug the trees. And they said, if you're going to cut these trees down, you're going to have to cut these trees along with us. Chipko means to hug or to get stuck to. And so that had a very powerful impact because it was a big standoff. You know, the forest laborers didn't want to go in and start hacking the trees. And then the forest department people tried to move them and get the police to arrest them. But more people came out and they started doing this as a way of getting the message across. It's not about reducing the environment into tradable commodity. It is about recognizing the environment as something that is embodied in you. My name is David George Haskell. I have written a couple of books, The Songs of Trees and The Forest Unseen. And a lot of my work focuses on the human senses and how they relate to trees. There's all sorts of things we can learn by listening to trees, which on the face of it sounds a little crazy. It's like a tree doesn't speak, doesn't have a mouth. Why would you listen to trees? Well, consider just one simple example. A maple tree in the winter and the spring and the summer sounds completely different because the wind moving through twigs or fresh, soft little leaves in the spring or the, or the tougher leaves of, of midsummer and, and the dry leaves of the autumn sounds very different. So by tuning our ears into those trees, we can pick up on the nuances of the changing seasons. We also learn the character of individual trees. Cottonwood leaves and aspen leaves have a beautiful little patter. It sounds almost like rain as the leaves tap against each other. Whereas oak trees in, in the summertime have a much higher hiss. And so every tree has its own character. And just as you can tell different species of a bird apart by listening to them, you can also tell different types of trees apart. And so now when I travel, go from one place to another, I tune my ears into the trees and try and understand something about their character in the same way that I tune into different languages and accents as I travel and listen to the marvelous diversity of, of human voices around the planet. Forget walls, if trees could talk. If trees could talk, man, they would say some shit. And like, we would have to listen, full of wisdom. Trees are full of wisdom, for sure. 
My name is Eddie Herrera, and I am a photographer. I was formerly incarcerated for about 14 years. I, I had this longing to just be in nature, you know, the sounds, the smells of not only the trees, but just, you know, even the birds, everything, you know. When I went to San Quentin, I became the San Quentin news photographer. Most of my photography is like nature and trees. By the chapel area, they call it like the Garden Chapel Plaza. It was really nice. Uh, small trees, bushes, flowers. The landscapers were inmates, so like, it, like that, that gives you hope, man. That gave me hope. Like, that's what I realized. Like, the absence of like trees and flowers and plants, like, is the absence of, of life, right? To me, trees are like life giving, they give me oxygen. They, they breathe just like me, you know? I always, like, love nature, but definitely, definitely, like, grew since I've been out. Climbing trees is just a form of an arborist walking to work. My name is Wenda Lee. I'm from Toronto. I've been a climbing arborist for 30 years. In the first years of my career, I had a really hard time. I was ostracized. I didn't fit into their stereotype as, you know, this husky, bearded, chainsaw-wielding guy, I'm a petite Asian woman. And the only thing that saved me was my deep desire and passion to work in the trees. My supervisor encouraged me to participate in these tree climbing competitions. And that was sort of like a way for me to, to gain some respect as a professional. And then in 2002, I uh, won the uh, Women's World Championship, which is a great honor because it's sort of like winning the Olympics. <laughs> Being amongst arborists, especially at these competitions, we're all driven by the same thing, this passion to be connected with trees. It's not just we're arborists and we go to work. Like we embrace the energy of the trees. It's a breathing, living organism, but just on a massive scale. And I have no qualms to saying it's, it's a being. It's a living, breathing being. Just cause you kill the tree and dry it out and everything, the spiritual part and it ain't gone. The wood is saying something. I'm framing vines and uh, 78 years old, I live in Fountain, North Carolina. I've been making guitars for 51 years. The guitars that I, I make, the wood is trapped. So I take and rescue the wood and do something with it. I do what the wood tell me to do. All the trees is all right with me. We, we got to understand that they know if I uh, run into some wood that's reluctant to be made into an instrument and I don't mess with it. The looks I mean nothing to me, it's the sound. I don't care how many pine trees growing in an area, how many oaks 
in an area. You don't never see a pine oak or uh, oak pine. Each one is an individual. Has its own characteristics. Has its own way it grow. A oak don't want to be a pine and a pine don't want to be an oak. But uh, people should be that same way. If they ugly, stay ugly. If they can cook, just cook. If they walking, don't buy their car. I mean, uh, that's the way I feel about life. Hi, my name is Rick O'Rourke. I'm a Yurok tribal member. I've been doing prescribed burns on the Yurok reservation in order to reclaim our right to use fire as a land management tool for the last nine years. We're one of the few tribes who's never been displaced, so we've been in our place since the very beginning of time. Right now, there's so many trees. The mountains are just covered in trees when it used to be almost all prairie. You know, and all those trees that are under 100 years old are encroachment trees. It's like not cleaning your house for a hundred years. And then where do you start? <laughs> so we're trying to reclaim our prairies and we're not trying to eradicate the trees. We're trying to get them back into their proper places to keep our balance. You know, we all have our place in this world and we just can't take too much of it. And watching the trees and how they react to the fire, you could just like see the branches start to shiver. Sometimes when we're burning, you know, they'll see trees start to go, but that's kind of a natural selection because that tree had a flaw that could potentially fall down and kill somebody. And, but the ones that are still there are strong and healthy with deep roots and they're gonna be there forever, just like us. My name is Grayson Armour. I am a junior at Stanford and am the currently reigning Stanford tree, the 43rd Stanford tree. We are the unofficial mascot of Stanford. We are not the official mascot because we don't have an official mascot. The process of getting selected is by a thing we call Tree Week, where anyone who wants to become tree, um, who are called sprouts at that point, do a bunch of things to win the favor of the current tree slash prove that they have the mojo and the personality type to, to take over the helm once the current tree's done. When I don't have the tree on, I'm just, you know, Grayson. When I put the tree on, like, I am the tree. And the level of energy that I get when I put that tree on just, like, goes through the roof. You know, the tree is a pure source of energy for everyone else. If you see a tree thrashing around in front of you, like, are you going to get a little excited or are you going to get bored? <laughs> My name is Monty. I am nine years old and I like to climb this big tree in my front yard. So the first time, like a long, long time ago, me and my friends, like one of them tied like a rope around a high tree branch. She tied it around the tree very tight and it will never come undone. And that's how we climbed up. It was a nice summer day and I had like, I have my friends over and like one person goes to the top of the tree as high as they can go and gets a big like bucket full of water and then dumps it on the other people's heads on below on the ground. We took turns. I don't think I ever dumped the water though. Wait, yes, I did dump the water one time. Sometimes when I climb really high, I get to look down and see and I get to like 
be proud of myself that I got that high. I just climb trees and sit up there and brag to my friends, and that's basically it. <laughs> New York City has some of the best city parks that you could dream of. My name is Katina Grays. I live in Harlem. I'm an outdoor Afro leader. I always like to say I get to be a catalyst for black joy in nature. I do a lot of curating the city as an outdoor experience for people. So we spend a lot of time in our city parks. So a great example of this is Van Cortlandt Park in the Bronx. It's fantastic. I mean, it's thousands of acres. I feel like it gets sort of like not enough play because of like Central Park. But our communities are very rich a lot of times in spaces that, you know, unless somebody points them out to you, how do you know that they're there? I want people to be able to access nature whenever they want it and when they, whenever they need it because, you know, the last year in particular has been a, an odd time with people having to be so separated and so isolated from other people. But also, you know, with all of the tragic killings of Black people that have happened, people need a place to be where they can put their burdens down, where they can be like, you know, I can just sit here under this tree and I can breathe and I can think and I can, you know, not have to engage in anything other than my own mental well-being in a space. And so being able to show people where those things are, I think is a really important thing. always love trees in winter. I think it's, for me, it's my favourite phase of theirs. I just love the way that the leaves fall off and it reveals their shapes. And I think when their shapes are revealed, I feel like they've each got a personality and you get this real sense of trees that have lived a long life sometimes, you know, the ones with the twisted branches and the really thick bark. I'm Catherine May and I'm the author of Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. I knew I wanted to write about how trees are at their most beautiful in the winter. What trees do is that they cut back to the bare essentials in difficult times. You know, they don't try and stride into winter with all their leaves on. They don't try and carry on as if nothing's happening. And in that time, they're the life and soul of the wood. You know, they're holding the soil together with their roots. They're providing places for insects to hibernate. They're dropped seeds and acorns and things like that are feeding the woodland animals all through the winter and I for me like that's that's really inspiring about trees they go through hard times every year and they do it with huge grace and by being everything to the rest of the woodland we don't get to define our winters we don't get to control them if we did everything would be easier but it's a simple fact of life that we don't and I think what we can learn to do is accept that winter will always come, that it is part of our cycle, that it rolls round to us again and again. We can't avoid it, we can't delay it, but we can 
live through it as richly as we can. Even if your team isn't in the same place, your work can be. You just need Asana. Asana is where teams coordinate work so they know what to do, why it matters, and how to get it done. Plus, everyone can see the team's plans, check progress, and discuss things. So you can get work done, and your team stays a team. Where there's Asana, there's a way. Visit asana.com to try for free. That's Asana. A-S-A-N-A. This story was brought to you by Pop-Up Magazine Productions. Written and produced by me, Haley Howell, along with Joy Shan, Alyssa Eads, Ariel Mejia, and Elise Craig. Our editors are Derek Fagerstrom and Doug McGray. Our music and sound design is by Alex Overington. Our creative director is Leo Jung. Rebecca Chu is our art director. And Jackie Bates is our photography director. Lauren Smith is our director of operations. And we had production help from Al Schatz and Andy Spillman. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to check out our visual field guide at papamagazine.com. <laughs>